Oh, good morning, everybody. It is good to be with you all here, and, and for those of you online, it's great uh, to gather together and, and open up God's Word. And this, this sermon series we're in, I'm really uh, I'm excited about, because right? we're looking at the, this whole issue of what, is, what does it mean to be a mature Christian? Because I think, especially in, in our church, in the American culture, we, we've, we've twisted things up so much and confused things um, that, that we get all out, out of sorts of what does it actually mean to be uh, a mature Christian. What does that look like? And so that's really the, the heart of what we're doing. So last week, Pastor Matt started us off in, in talking about uh, mature Christians love God and love others, right? The, the great command. Uh, and this morning, we're, we're just continuing on. We're looking at the great commission, Jesus' last instructions uh, to his followers here on earth. And so I, I'm just going to start by reading that. This is the end of, of Matthew, Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And it says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Uh, this, the Great Commission, this is, these are Jesus' final instructions to his disciples. It's, it's the culmination of all of his time with them, all the time he had spent with them. And as he's leaving, it's, it's, his, it's his parting words. You know, I like to think about it because when we spend time with others, our, our parting words are normally, they're loaded with meaning and importance, right? They're those things as we're leaving, as we're, we're pulling away from somebody, it's, it's those reminders, those things that we want to make sure. You know, it's the, hey, remember to uh, send me that that information or, or remember to this. With, with our kids, the age they're at right now, oftentimes it's like, remember to brush your teeth. Um, you know, it's just those simple instructions, right? But it's the things that we think are important that we call out to uh, people as, as a reminder. And so this is Jesus calling out to his disciples, this, this ragtag team of men and women who had followed him, who loved him, who he loved. And they, they had spent three years of ministry with him, seeing everything he had done. They had been with him uh, and, and saw him crucified. They saw him resurrected, spent time with him, and now they're standing with him, with the resurrected Lord who proved his authority. And he calls this out to him, and then he ascends into heaven. And so the, this, this great commission is, is just packed with meaning and importance, right? It's these instructions. Right? And the, the crazy thing is this, is this is God's great plan. Right? Jesus comes to earth, rescues us, pays the penalty for sin, makes it as a way for us to be right with God, and then, and then goes. And he leaves the instructions with this small team of people. Right? His whole hope for the good news of the gospel, of what he had just accomplished to be spread to all the world, is, is in these people and their ability to tell other people. And their obedience to the, to the Great Commission is evident in the fact that we're sitting in church or we're gathered online in church today, right? Because that, that team took that good news, they took the gospel, they took the hope that they had found and, and spread it throughout the world. And yet as we look at this idea of what does a real mature Christian look like, they live out the Great Commission. Right? Because the Great Commission was not just for those people gathered on that hillside who watched Jesus ascend into heaven. The great commission is for every disciple of Jesus. 
we're a follower of Jesus, then we share our faith. Right, so that, that, uh, that news can be scary, right? That, that <laughs> simple phrase of, of having to share our faith can be a really intimidating thing, and, and partly because the world that we live in, American culture, has made evangelism kind of a dirty word. Right? How do you share your faith with somebody else? How do you tell somebody else what you believe? And, and, and part of that is, is scary, right? Because, well, what if somebody disagrees with you or somebody wants to argue with you? Well, I don't want to offend somebody, so I'm just not going to say anything. Or we've seen so many horrible examples of people doing evangelism all the wrong way. Right? And, and, and making a, a mockery of it. Or we've seen people doing evils in the name of evangelism, right? They're, they're, they're out here hurting people and all in the name of, of, of sharing the gospel. And so it's understandable that as followers of Jesus, we can be like intimidated by this idea of well, sharing our faith. That sounds scary and, and, and it's, it sounds like maybe a bad thing to do. I don't know what to do. And so, so we kind of ex- come up with excuses or, or reasons that, that we're just not going to do it. And so we just kind of skirt around this issue. But real mature Christians share their faith. So what I want to do today is, is look at this. If, if real mature Christians share their faith and, and we struggle with that, then, then why? And, and I think there's three big misconceptions about evangelism that we've come to believe that affect our ability to obey, get in the way. So we're going to talk about those three things, and then, and then we're just going to simply look at what, what is following the Great Commission look like? What does it mean for us to live that out and be obedient to that? And so, again, to get started, I, th- I think we have to look at these misconceptions, these, these things that we have done to take the Great Commission and make it impossible or scary or just simply that we don't f- follow through with it. And the first one is, is really simple, but I think at the same time, uh, it, it's, it's huge, and it's at the core of so much of this, is that we simply invert the Great Commission. We, we invert the instructions. The Great Commission is pretty straightforward. Jesus, He tells them, He says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teach them to obey all the commands that I have given you. And what do we do? We flip it around. Get everybody to obey all the commands that God has given us. And once they've done that, then they can get baptized and become a disciple. Right? And we, don't, we don't necessarily say that out, right? We don't, that's not the way we say it, but that's what we do. Right? There's almost this, this expectation that, well, in order to come to church, in order to come to Jesus, you better get your life right. right? I would imagine that right now, all around town, there, there are tons of people who are like, I'd love to go to church, but I don't know if I'm ready. Like, my life's a mess. I, I'm, not, I'm not good for it. Church isn't the place for me. How, how backwards is that, right? Because church is the place for broken people. Right? And yet, what do we do when we come to church? We get dressed up. Right? These are the nicest clothes I've worn this week. Right? <laughs> right? We get dressed up. We put on a smiling face. We come in. We, we act like we've got everything together. And yet, that's <laughs> the biggest lie. Right? We all are a mess. Right? We're all here because we desperately need Jesus, and we know that, and yet we, we make it so that, that the gospel is unattainable because we've got to get our lives put together first. Right? And so there's almost this expectation that, that I can't go and talk to Jesus until I at least get things in order. I 
that's, that's so far from the truth. Right? The church is for those of us who are broken and recognize that we absolutely need a Savior. We need Jesus. You see, becoming a follower of Jesus starts with the simple first step, which is surrender. We surrender our lives to Jesus. We believe that He is who He says He was and what He did on the cross is sufficient for us and we put our trust in Jesus and we become a disciple. Romans 10, 9, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the gospel message. We put our hope in Jesus and we are a disciple of Jesus. We are a follower of Jesus. And in that moment... Nothing changes. Right? My past isn't all fixed up. Right? The, the issues that I'm dealing with don't disappear. Right? My behaviors don't change. I haven't automatically like somehow downloaded and now know all of the Bible and all of God's teachings. I just trusted in Jesus. And yet at that same moment, everything has changed. Right? The moment we put our trust in Jesus, we're a whole new creation. And we begin this process of being made new. We begin this process of sanctification of of God, reworking our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit, changing us and empowering us to obey. And that's that's why I love the the story of the thief on the cross. Here's a guy, he's he's earned his, his punishment. I don't know what he did, but did something bad enough to make the Romans execute him. And as he's hanging on a cross next to Jesus and everyone around is hurling insults at Jesus, he turns to Jesus and says, remember me today when you enter your kingdom. He believed that Jesus was who he said he was. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. In that moment, everything changed for that man. He became a disciple. He was made new and made alive. And yet, in the next Three to six hours as he hung there dying, he didn't do anything. It's not like he all of a sudden started like hollering to the people down below, hey, quick, start teaching me memory verse. I need to learn this stuff. He didn't do a Bible study. He didn't get special permission to get down really quick to get baptized and, and go. No, he he died. Because the Great Commission lays out what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We put our hope and trust in Jesus Christ and we are, we are a new creation in Christ. And then we spend the rest of our lives pursuing Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit being made new and learning what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Learning to obey all the commands that Jesus has given us. Right? That's what it means to follow Jesus. You see, it's a new life based on our belief and trust in Jesus, and then obedience follows. Our obedience is our response to our belief. So again, one of the big misconceptions we have as a church is we flip the Great Commission on its head. And so church, let me challenge you with this, let me say this. We need to stop expecting people who are not followers of Jesus to live like Christians in the name of evangelism, telling them to clean up their acts so that they can come to Jesus. What the world needs is not to follow a bunch of rules and live good lives. What the world needs is Jesus. 
All right, so there's number one. That's a big one. Okay, number two. All right, the second misconception we have about the Great Commission is when we make it all about the gift. We make evangelism all about the spiritual gift, which I don't have. All right, that's how we put it. Right? Evangelism is a spiritual gift. God gives people through the power of the Holy Spirit. He gives them the gift, the ability to tell people and share with people the hope of the gospel. And we can look, there's, I mean, we can read history books and see people who have lived that out. We probably know people who are gifted in this way, who God has just given them a heart and a burning passion and an ability and a clarity to be able to just share the gospel with people. And so we can look at people like Billy Sunday and Dwight L. Moody and Billy Graham, these, these amazing evangelists who God used to do wonderful things through. And they have these spiritual gifts. And we say, well, I don't have that gift. So therefore, I'm going to leave it to the professionals. And I'm going to leave it to the gifted. But God's called us. The Great Commission's for all of us. And so even if you don't have the spiritual gift of evangelism, you have been called to be an evangelist. So just because we don't have the gift doesn't get us out of obedience. In a similar way, right? we're commanded, we're told as followers of Jesus to, to worship him. Our lives should be worshiped. We should sing and make a joyful noise. We're called to do that. I do not have the gift of worship. Right? You are all here in this room and online thankful that Josh led us in worship this morning. All right? The last thing you want to have your morning start with is me singing into a microphone for you. Right? But just because I don't have that gift doesn't mean that I am excused from obedience. And so I may, if you've sat next to me, I make a joyful noise. Right? That's the way I do it, right? But we're called to do that. We're called to obedience. So even though we're not given the gift, we're still called to obey. And so we need to stop using that as an excuse. I'm not gifted in that way. Anyone who's a follower of Jesus has been called to live out the Great Commission, to share the hope that we have. All right, and the third, and probably not the final, but the final for this morning, right, the third uh, misconception we have about evangelism is that we think we need to be closers. Right? We make evangelism this, this sales pitch. We've got to be the ones who seal the deal. Right? Evangelism is all about getting somebody to, to cross that line, like to surrender their life to Jesus and pray a prayer. And so as an evangelist, it's my job to get people to do that. You have this incorrect view that evangelism is all about, it's, it's on me to help somebody walk from not knowing anything to knowing everything and putting their trust in Jesus. It's all on me. I've got to close the deal. That's not it. Right? We're not salespeople who win people to Jesus. That's not what evangelism is. So first off, <laughs> first problem with that whole thing is this. It's not on you at all. It's not about you. You don't change people's hearts. That's God. God's the one who changes people's hearts. It's God who awakens people's spirit and calls them to Himself. It's God who awakens us and, and draws us to Himself. That's God's job, not ours. I've never changed somebody's heart. God changes hearts. He just chooses to use us. And secondly, the second problem with this whole misconception is that evangelism is, is this process, is this whole long process of people awakening and drawing close to Christ. 
and at some point surrendering their life to Christ. But so evangelism isn't a let's see, let's make the sales pitch and get somebody to buy, uh, sign their name. That's not evangelism. Evangelism is a process of people being awakened and called by Jesus. He he calls them to himself. We're just responsible to do our part. We're responsible to help people take the next step, whatever that might be. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, kind of about this very topic. This is Paul again, the guy who it's, it seems like single-handedly like went out and, and was an evangelist to the Roman Empire, right? Paul, who takes uh, the church from being kind of clustered around Jerusalem in the surrounding areas and, and spreads it throughout the whole known world. Like one of the greatest evangelists of all times, right? Going into Roman Colosseums and, and talking to Caesar and, and preaching in, in Greece to huge crowds. Paul, who could have had all these, like, if he wanted to, like, here's my check marks of all the people that I have won for Christ. And this is what he writes about it. In verses 5 through 9, 1 Corinthians 3, what after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned each to his task. I planted the seeds, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will be rewarded each according to their own labors. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. What's Paul say? He's like, all I did was plant seeds. Apollos come along, he, he taught you more. But all, all either of us know is that God's the one who causes growth. God's the one who changes hearts. God's the one who makes things happen. We're just responsible to do what we're called to do, which is share hope, the hope that we have found. So we need to stop using the excuse that, that we don't have the gift. We need to stop buying into this idea that, well, I don't know enough to be able to seal the deal, so I'll just leave it to somebody else to do. Or we got this, this whole misconception that we got to get people to obey first and then, then we'll talk about the gospel. We need to live out the Great Commission. Because here's the deal. As much as all of us are like, I don't have the gift of evangelism, let me tell you something. Each and every one of you in this room, all of you gathered online, we are all great evangelists. You are. And here's how I know it. We're all really, really good evangelists for the things that we love and the things that we care about. All right? Have you guys heard about that new restaurant downtown? It's amazing. You guys need to go there. The food's awesome. All right? Oh, have you seen this new show? You guys need to go watch the show. It's hilarious. It's the, it's the best thing ever. You guys need to do this. Or you need to try this, right? When things that we experience, things that we love or have, or have affected us, we tell people about them. I had this last summer, my family, we got to take a, a trip out west to see my parents, and, and on the way, we got to do a lot of fun stuff. My kids became amazing evangelists for a lot of the stops along the way. All right, if you guys want to hear about the Beartooth Highway or Snyder Guard Station, ask my kids, and they will sell you on your need to go there. Because they fell in love with it, and they had so much fun, and they want everybody to do it. And they've become these amazing evangelists for, like, 
the route to the northwest. Right? And so we all do that though, right? We're natural evangelists for the things that we love. And so we need to stop saying, well, I'm not, I'm not a good evangelist. We are. So, if real mature Christians live out the Great Commission, share the hope that they've found, what, what does that look like? Hey, what, what does the Great Commission really mean? What, what am I supposed to do? If I'm a follower of Jesus, what am I supposed to do with this? How do I do this? And, and I think living out the Great Commission really comes down to two things. And so it's one of the, those things where here's two really simple things that are going to take the rest of your life to figure out and do. All right? But the Great Commission really is pretty simple. And the first step is that you need to be disciples. You need to be a disciple. Because as we just said, if it's natural for us to be evangelists for the things that we love. Well, if we, we look back to last week, the first mark of a real mature Christian is that they love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, and with their, all their strength. And they love their neighbors as themselves. If we do that, then that naturally flows into the Great Commission. Right? If, if we truly love God with everything that we have, and we really care about the people around us, then we are going to tell people the hope that we found. It's the natural outpouring, right? Because nat- our natural response to things we love is to share it. And if we truly love God, and if we truly understand how we've been changed by, by what He's done, then we're going to tell the people we care about. You see, I think the foundation for evangelism is a proper understanding of the gospel. We have to have a proper understanding of the gospel. And when we do that, evangelism naturally occurs. See, look, look at some of the people in the Bible who we see their response to Jesus, that we see their interaction with Jesus. And what, what happened? That when they understood how they were saved and what they were saved from, what was their response? The first one is the woman at the well in John chapter 4. Here's a lady whose life had been defined trying to find purpose and meaning in relationships, right? Went through guy after guy trying to find purpose and, 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 and because of that was an outcast in her town. Right? She had to go out to gather water separate from everybody else. She had to do things on her own. She was an outcast and yet she was continuing to chase after this idea that maybe she could, if she found the right guy, she'd find purpose. And she meets Jesus. Jesus tells, him about it, tells her about himself. And what's her response when she, she starts to understand who Jesus is? She runs into town and gathers everybody. All these people who treated her as an outcast. She goes and gets them all like, come and see. And the whole town comes out to meet Jesus. And they even say, they, they, they tell, their response is like, we didn't think anything of it, but this lady, basically, we had to come see what she's talking about. Because she understood what she had been saved from. She understood what God had done for her. And so she had to tell everybody. In a similar way, John chapter 9, we see one of the blind men who Jesus heals. Jesus comes and heals this blind man. And, and as he now has sight, <laughs> whole commotion occurs. And the Pharisees got and they're trying to get to the bottom of what's going on. And they interview this guy. They interview his parents. And, and when they ask the guy, what's going on? What how can you see? His response was simply this. Look, I've been blind. And then I met Jesus. 
and now I see. That was it. He didn't go into an explanation of, of, of what Jesus was up to or how Jesus was God's. He didn't know all of that. All he knew is he's like, I, I believe that Jesus is, is something. Jesus is, is worth following. I'm, I'm, I'm all in for Jesus. All I know is that I was blind. I met Jesus. Now I can see my life's been changed. You should talk to him. That's it. He didn't know anything more, but he pointed people to Jesus. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John go into the temple. There's a lame man begging, right? And he's asking for, for money, and, and Peter and John goes, we don't have money, but we, we do have, we'll give you, right? In the name of Jesus Christ, Lazarus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And what's his response? All of a sudden, his life's been changed because of Jesus, and what's he do? He gets up and he goes walking and leaping and praising God, again, causing up a, a whole commotion in the temple, can't hold it in. Jesus saved me. Jesus changed me. And I'm just going to glorify God. When we understand the depths of our sin, when we have a correct understanding of how sinful we were and how much we needed Jesus, then we can understand the immensity of God's grace. And when we have a, a correct understanding of the gospel, when we understand what we've been saved from, it changes us. You see, I think oftentimes in America, God has, has blessed us incredibly. He's protected us. And so sometimes we come to Jesus recognizing that, hey, you know what? Overall, my life's pretty good. I look around, I, I look at the southern border, I look at, at other parts of the world, I'm like, man, my life's not so bad. But I definitely need some help. And so Jesus comes in. It's almost like Jesus gives us this little tune-up and we're set to go. And that's the way we treat the gospel. It's like, hey, I, I need a little help and Jesus helps me. But the reality of the gospel is that we were dead in our sin. It doesn't matter how much, how good things looked on the outside. We were desperately in need of a Savior and Jesus rescued us. We were brought from death to life. And when we understand the depth of our sin and how much we've been forgiven, how much we've been saved from, then our response should be like those people, like the woman at the well, going and gathering everybody. Come and see. Right? The blind man. Look, I met Jesus and it changed everything. Our response should be to share. And so the first step is simply that. Be a disciple. Understand what it understand how Jesus has saved us, how we're disciples, not because of who we are, what we've got, but because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And he's invited us to follow him. And as we follow him, then, then the second step of the Great Commission is to make disciples. It's to share the hope that we have. It's to share what Jesus has done in me, what I've found, and share that hope with others. Right? When we understand the gospel, when we understand that we were headed for destruction. When we were headed for destruction, Jesus intervened and rescued us. And the people around us who we love, who we know, our coworkers, our neighbors, our friends, our family, with, apart from Jesus, they are headed for destruction. And we should have a heart to share the hope of the gospel with. And when we understand that it, it's no longer a duty, it's no longer a responsibility, I've got to go do this. 
It's not a quota we need to make. It's a delight. Because we're sharing the hope that we have. Here's what's changed my life. Here's what brought me from death to life. I want you to know that too. I want you to experience that too. I want you to understand and know the love of God that He has for you. It goes back to the great commandment. If we truly love God and love people, <laughs> then it's going to show what's the, what's the greatest way that we can love others. We can share with them the hope of the gospel. You see, our, our, our response is, and, and oftentimes when we talk about evangelism, 1 Peter 3.15 gets brought up. And it says, be ready to give a defense for the hope that you have. And oftentimes we take that, we're like, okay, we've got to be ready to give a defense. All right? And so we start to prepare and we start to study and learn everything so that we can give a, a defense. We're going to argue, people, we've got to be able to defend all of Christian history and we've got to defend all these theological terms that maybe we're still not quite comfortable with. And I don't quite understand the Trinity, but I've got to be able to make sure I, I do it. And so we start prepping, right, so that we can get into arguments and we can argue people to, to Jesus. And that's not how it works. We don't argue people to Jesus. This verse says, be prepared to give a defense for the hope that you have. Right? Yeah, we should say, we should understand all those things. That's, that's part of being a disciple. Learn to uh, obey all the commands that I have given you. That as we fall truly in love with Jesus, it should cause us to want to know more and more of Him. And to study and understand. But it's not for the sake of arguing it, that, that our lives should start to look different. As we are followers of Jesus, as we spend time with Jesus, the Holy Spirit works in us. Our lives should be, be changing. There should be a hope that, that makes us look different from the world around us. And as we live differently, it should cause the people around us, you know, to be like, why? <laughs> What's going on with you? Why is it that things seem to be different with you? Why do you respond differently? Why do you seem to always have, have a different response than I would expect? And then we can give a defense for the hope that we have. It's all because this world's not my home. It's all because Jesus came and rescued me. My past doesn't define me anymore. I am now defined by my identity in Christ. I've got the Holy Spirit living inside of me, transforming in me. You ask why I'm happy all the time. It's not because of me. It's because God's living inside of me and He's changing me. We give a defense for the hope that we have. Matthew 5.16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Our lives as disciples of Jesus should look different and cause people to notice. That there's something different about us. And when they ask us, we say, it's not me, it's Jesus. There's a hope that defines us. And it's the hope of the gospel. And that should be evident in the way that we live. We also got to take note that, that making disciples isn't just this short process, right? It's this, this lifelong pursuit of knowing Christ. It takes time. It happens in relationships, that we chase after Jesus together. That's why we're always encouraging you guys to be in community with each other, in life groups together, in conversation with each other, because we need each other to chase after Jesus. And we grow together as the Holy Spirit remakes us to reflect in the image of, of Jesus. See, we should always be preaching the gospel. 
We should live our lives as a testimony to what God has done and we'd give an opportunity to share the hope that we have with those around us. Like the blind man, we can say, I was blind, I met Jesus, and now I see. Real mature Christians share their faith. They share the hope that they have. We're all simply beggars who have found bread. And we want to tell people to come and see what we've found. That's what evangelism is. As followers of Jesus, real mature Christians, we need to love God and love others. And then we share the hope that we have. The hope of the gospel. Do you stand with me? Let's pray as we close. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for the hope that we have. We thank you that, that you loved us. And you came and rescued us. And it's not about us or what we've done or, or anything like that. It's all about you and who you are and what you have done for us. And so, Jesus, may we just rest in that. May, may that, that truth just be so evident in our lives, so forefront of our mind that, that it affects everything. And it causes the people around us to, to notice something different. And God, give us opportunities to share the hope that we have. And, and help the people around us maybe just take one step further. Maybe we're planting a seed. Maybe we're watering. But God, we pray that you would be at work in the lives around us. And that you would use us for your glory, for your kingdom. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.